When I think of Christmas, I think of Nana and Nikki's house. The smell of seafood frying in the kitchen. I think of crying with mom at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. My dad, the unstoppable movie quote machine, breaking out all the best Alistair Sim lines from A Christmas Carol. On Christmas morning, March of the Wooden Soldiers. Then we'd watch a log burn on the TV screen while we opened presents. <laughs> you seven millennials listening to this have no idea what you missed out on. But my love for animated holiday specials rolls even deeper. Some of them are among my favorite things in the world, never mind the season. I'm talking about the Smurfs, I'm talking about Scooby-Doo, Bugs Bunny and the Tasmanian Devil, Yogi Bear, the Chipmunks, the Flintstones, and I'll get obscure with you too, A Family Circus Christmas, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, Christmas Comes to Packland. But the one that melts my icy little bald heart more than all the rest is a Charlie Brown Christmas. I've always related to Charlie Brown, haven't you? Well, haven't you? Everything I touch gets ruined. Damn if that doesn't sound like me from, let's say, 2002 to 2014. <laughs> I watch a Charlie Brown Christmas every Christmas. It's usually the last thing I do when everyone else in the house is asleep at some ungodly hour of the night on Christmas Eve. Shit, I've seen it too many times. I know every line, I notice every aesthetic mistake. I still get all choked up when Charlie starts hopping down the road with that bad little tree in hand after that big bright star seems to point right at him and then it fades into a commercial for Mounds and I'm in joy. But what I love most about A Charlie Brown Christmas four decades after I first saw it is the message. Because Christmas is not always candy canes and mistletoe and presents and tinsel. Christmas is a hard time for a lot of people going through hard times. I was there once. Maybe you were too. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, I was the Charlie Browniest. But Christmas ain't about your mood, bro. It's about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. For those of us who celebrate, Jesus is the reason for the season. Or at least he's supposed to be. And a Charlie Brown Christmas nails that. It also nails the music. When I lost all my records in a superstorm seven years ago, talk about shitty Christmases. The only one I replaced was Vince Giraldi's A Charlie Brown Christmas. And I didn't even have a record player. It was the music that led me to Eric Bird, a dude who knows the music and the special as well as I do. And he should. He performs it nearly 20 times a year, every year. In clubs and in churches, for adults and for kids as the piano man and the leader of a jazz trio. Eric and I meet at church, a few hours before his performance. I've never been an altar boy, but I know my way around these places. And it's odd to see jazz there. Even odder to see kids and their parents jump up and dance unashamedly while the band plays Linus and Lucy. And they should be ashamed. The jazz was great. The dancing gets a D- at best. Towards the end of the set, Eric brings his two sons out to perform Christmas Time Is Here. Those four minutes shed more of a light on who Eric Bird is than anything he tells me during our 40-minute interview. This is not to say that the interview wasn't top-notch. Like a Charlie Brown Christmas, it's one of my favorite of the year. Eric Bird and I talk about playing the piano, being a jazz ambassador, Rage Against the Machine, putting his own spin on a Charlie Brown Christmas, and how I'm better than I think I am. You don't know me, Eric! So crack some chestnuts, pour some eggnog, stay tuned for my conversation with Eric Bird right here on Independent Minded. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. It's Ronnie Scalzo's amazing podcast. He's talking to people who make art and music. He's plugging their projects. He's making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the bullshit that they do.
let me tell you, Eric Bird, about my relationship to a Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay. I'm a Generation X, and like many from my generation and my parents' generation, mm-hmm. a Charlie Brown Christmas is an essential part of my holiday season. Oh, sure. Yeah. And has been since I'm about, I don't know, since I can remember ever watching television. Forever, yeah. I guess I discovered you, you know, I probably get the Hamilton newsletter oh, okay, cool. because yeah. that's a venue that I have not yeah. interviewed somebody at yet. Yeah. I find this to be, I don't want to go as far, even though we're in church, to say that it's a blessing that we got to do this, but I had to cancel on you last minute and I saw that apparently this is something that you do every year. Yeah. You not only perform a Charlie Brown Christmas at the Hamilton, but you're all over the place. All over the place. Including where we are now, which is a church yeah. in Bethesda. The Episcopal Church of the Redeemer. This is my first church podcast interview, so that's unique in its own right. But I'm also excited to talk to you because it's my do-over interview. All right. (laughs) So so that said, obviously my first question and and one I was hoping to ask, you know, when we were first supposed to get together is what's your relationship to this special and this music that's been around for probably, I don't know, 50-something years now? Yeah, I think it's, yeah. So I'm like everybody else, man. I just <laughs> I just grew up with this thing. You know, it was on television and I'm old enough to remember when that's all we had. When uh you know, like that's <laughs> six that's, channels. Yeah, yeah, that's all we had. Like we had Saturday morning cartoons and the cartoons were like the Super Friends and Bugs Bunny, you know, Scooby Doo, something like that. So Charlie Brown was just part of that lexicon of just Americana kind of thing. What was happening low-key, though, at the same time that didn't resonate with me until, like, years later, was it was also one of my very first um, forays into hearing jazz music. Same here. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, as we're taping this, you know, the, um, what's the cat? Tom Hanks is now doing a movie with, uh, you know, the, what's the guy? You know, these these are the people in my neighborhood guy. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, yes. Fred Rogers. And it was the same kind of thing. Fred Rogers, like, he would have jazz on there on a somewhat regular basis. I didn't know it was jazz, but it was cool music. I don't recall jazz on Mr. Rogers. Oh, yeah, I, I saw yeah. Winton on there. I saw Winton yeah. on there. Um, he had um, the guitar player that used to play with Buddy Rich's band. So it was like every once in a while he would go to, like, a college or he'd go to, like, a conservatory or something in New York. He'd take, like, a little road trip. And I remember Winton because Winton was a kid. You know, Winton was, like, maybe 18 or 20 or something. Winton Marsalis Winton for the non-jazz yeah. label. Yeah. yeah, and he was playing with like a bunch of old cats, and he was hanging with them, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it sounds cool. So it was the same kind of thing, and my dad was always a big jazz fan. He always listened to a lot of the the greats like uh, Coleman Hawkins, and he liked Sarah Vaughan. He liked the big band year kind of stuff. So when I was paying attention to Charlie Brown, it sounds strangely familiar. You know, this is kind of the music that is playing around my house. That Vince Giraldi stuff is pretty classic. I mean, if you know Vince Giraldi, most people know him from Charlie Brown. They don't really know him as a entity beyond Charlie Brown. So it's his claim to fame for that's sure. That's his claim, yeah. And unfortunately, he didn't live long enough to have more of a career. I believe he died in his mid forties or something. But you know, that's kind of how I got into it. Because of the soundtrack, yeah. I kind of got into his music. And I'm not a jazz aficionado by any means. Sure, I like the genre and we'll get into that down the road but you know i went because of my love for the soundtrack yeah i listened to cast fade to the wind and like some some of his other stuff and i'm like wow this is yeah you can play this is really cool yeah for me like christmas music was a way to kind of coincide with me learning how to play the piano okay you know some of my earliest sheet music is santa claus is coming to town frosty the snowman and i haven't seen you perform yet but i'm gonna say that like i'm nowhere near the stratosphere well, you that you're in. So, <laughs> you don't know. Well, you man. haven't heard me either. You, 
You might be playing with the band before the gig is over. You know, I don't you know. know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, for me, you know, I'm a church boy. You know, I grew up in church, so I know I grew up learning how to play the piano and playing all those hymns. You know, what child is this and a little town of Bethlehem and all that stuff. And those are familiar melodies, so you can figure out pretty quickly if you're playing the songs correct. When we started programming this concert and these shows that we've been doing for a long time, we just parked the car right at the Charlie Brown thing. There was just a really nice somewhat intentional but mostly unintentional kind of relationship that just kind of happened i mean as giraldi's operating in a trio format i operate in a trio format most of the time and the story has a lot of low-key brilliance with it i mean it's like everybody has been charlie brown or is charlie brown at one point in there at some point you have not been super hip you know so he's trying to find meaning at a time when everybody else seems to be happy. Like everybody else is digging the season. There's all kinds of stuff to get involved with. And he's just not feeling it. He's going around, he's going to say, anybody, they can tell me what this doggone thing is supposed to be all about. And the little kid comes up with the blanket and he's like, man, you know, unto us a child is born in the city of David. And he'll be a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, and he tells the true story. And, he, and then he latches into, yeah, it's gotta be more than just therapy and it's got to be more than just involvement it's got to be more than just music and it's got to be more than just trying to win a prize it's got to have a deeper thing and so you have the pathetic tree and then they all kind of wrap around this thing and i'm like man that's something that we could really gravitate to that we could sink our teeth into it so it was just a natural kind of a thing for us to take that music and then put our flavor on it you know how would vince Giraldi play if he had the greatest drummer on the planet, Alfonso Young, playing behind him, who I'll have playing today. So it's, you know, it might be different. You know, how would he sound if he had the greatest bass player on on the planet, Bhagwan Khalsa, playing, you know, in his group? You know, it, it might sound like the way it's going to sound today. So it just was a natural fit for us. Let's circle back. You said you're a church boy. Oh, yeah. You mentioned your dad listened to yeah. jazz. Like, what did your parents do? Who put you in front of that piano? It was my parents. My dad was not a musician, but he just loved listening to music. That was his thing. His thing was to come home from work. And he would maybe watch the news and then he would turn the news off and he would put on records and eight tracks from a lot of different genres of music, too. I mean, he listened to opera, he listened to R&B, he listened to, he just liked music. And my mom was pretty easygoing. So whatever was playing in the house, she was fine with whatever that was. And she used to sing a little bit in church, but not a whole lot. So I don't really come from a musical family, but we went to church and uh, one day, just randomly, my dad came home and told my sister and I, hey, the woman at the church is giving piano lessons. You guys want to take lessons? And I think we both said, yeah, for a while. I think my sister took lessons for like maybe a couple of months and it just didn't resonate with her. And for me, it was like I was at home. I remember her teaching me middle C and I remember doing middle C and I remember going, yeah, I can do this. Like, I, I have no idea, like, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, but I could do this. You like, had, this is... like, some sort of inner confidence oh, yeah. even back then? Oh, yeah. I was seven. And okay. I remember thinking, now, again. That's I, not very Charlie Brown, by It's the not way. very Charlie Brownish. But now, <laughs> and again, I don't want to, I, I tell people the story, but I don't want to indicate that, like, I knew I was good or I knew that I was meant to be. You could be, be cocky on the podcast. Well, <laughs> I would be if it was true, you know, but I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, when I did it, I felt like this is strangely familiar. Like this is, and for a long time, music was never really hard. It was something I had to work on to do. I started with classical music and there was stuff that I couldn't play, but it wasn't like overwhelming or defeating. It was always just work harder to play it. That's interesting. And I just loved it. I, I just, and from the day I took my first lesson, when I was seven and a half or something, I just, that's all I wanted to do. 
So I'm the Charlie Brown of this podcast because <laughs> I mean I also have the haircut, obviously. But <laughs> my point being that like I probably started playing the piano at the same time that you did, and I had the exact opposite experience wow. when I got to that level. Yeah. Of Brahms. And, oh yeah. And anything that was beyond popular music with sure, more yeah. than a couple of sharps or flats. Sure, in it, right. It really started to become a struggle for me. Yeah, and, that stuff was and a bear. I jumped off the boat. In fact. This is a true story. I was probably taking lessons for five or six years. Okay. I was 10, 11. Oh, so you can't play with the band then? Uh, probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> Put me in the background and I'll play some like chords on, on an organ or something. Just okay. to, That's probably right. as, as proficient as okay, I can. They got one point. up there. All right. Okay. Well, we'll talk after the podcast. <laughs> All right. Anyway, at some point, I think, you know, I would have a, a woman come to my house and give piano lessons yep. on the staff paper yep. and she would write out stuff for me to play. Yep. And I think. One of the last lessons I ever took, it was all in pencil, huh. and I took an eraser, and I erased it, and I guess in my crazy brain, I thought, if the lesson doesn't exist, then I won't have <laughs> to play it. You were it's not there, now I had to do it. <laughs> and I think that was my not-so-subtle way of telling my mom that I wasn't interested in taking <laughs> piano funny. lessons anymore. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And the sad part of it is that I still, to this day, you know, That's pretty like, good. let's fast forward 30 years. Like, I still, I'm the go-to guy in the family when it's like... Hey. Let's all sit around the piano. Right. What about you? At this time of year, mm -hmm. are you relied upon based on your pedigree? Or is that something that's a tradition sort of. in your family? It kind of depends. You know, my parents, you know, God bless them, they've passed away now. Um, and they weren't super, like, party or festive people. But it was normal for us to sit around and just kind of play. Yeah. My wife's family is really, really great. So we'll go to the grandmother's house, and she has this really weird kind of organist kind of thing and not a piano. <laughs> but, like, I'll power that sucker up and start playing. And What is a weird organist type of it's thing? It's like, it's not really like, a, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a Lowry, but it's got, like, preset things, and, like, if you hit one button, like, a little rhythm track will play, and it's Oh, it's, it's got, total, like, a built-in Yeah, it's, like, like total machine in Napoleon it? Dynamite soundtrack All right. kind of thing. But you can, is, you can handle that. Right? I can deal with it on a little bit. It's got, like, seven keys there and, like, nine there, so it's, like, I can't really... And, like, a Simba button? And, like, like, a, being, and like, like right, yeah, it's, like, exactly. So it's, but, it, but, yeah, it's, like, it's cool. You know, like, her family, you know, my wife is very musical, you know, she comes from a family where, you know, a bunch of singers, a couple of musicians and singers. So oh, cool. it's like pretty normal for us to kind of get together. Is that like, how you met your wife through your career? Met her through college. I was going out when she was coming in. We were both in the music department. She was a music theory major and dual mathematics major. So she's a big hit. She's one of those. Oh, OK. And then she was taking voice lessons. And then when she graduated college, she was teaching voice lessons out of the house. So. Still very musically active and all that stuff. Cool. So, when's the first time that you performed a Charlie Brown Christmas in its entirety? Yeah, I don't know. People have asked us that, and I it's I kind of came to the band with like one song, and then a year later it was like, oh, let's do this song too, and then like a couple of years later it was like, oh, well, this song is kind of cool. So the first time somebody actually said, hey, let's do the soundtrack was probably about 15 or 16 years ago. Wow. OK, so it's been a while. So it's been a while. And we turned it into like a thing where we only did it at this one venue, the Carroll Arts Center up in Westminster, Maryland. We just did it there. And then it literally snowballed, pun intended. It just turned into like, you know, hey, I do you have you ever consider doing this over on the Avalon Theater in East. It was like, so like no, a word of mouth thing. Yeah. And then it just kind of, and now man, it's like, it's a cottage industry. It's crazy. We've turned it to the, uh, 
the Celtic band that makes all their money around uh, like St. Patrick's Day in March. March <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like, you know, we we work 11 months out of the year. And then from Thanksgiving to December 25th, we are Charlie Browning like all over the place. We're doing 17 gigs, 22 days this season. I think it turned out to be 17 gigs in 22 days. Just like anything else. Are you sick of it? The idea of it gets tedious. Right. Because there's only seven or eight songs in the soundtrack. So we could add more songs, but it's not in the movie. So you're kind of like. You'll get some purists going, right? Yeah, I don't yeah, it's like, this. yeah that's this not the in the director's movie. cut. So, right. It's like, <laughs> this was like, yeah. So it's like the unseen tapes of directors. Yeah. Well, reimaginings are in now. Yeah, so. I guess. So the idea of it, you go, what am I going to bring to Old Christmas Tree any different than I did? four years ago yeah and then you sit down at the piano bench and it becomes instant invention you know al and bhagwan are so good every time they approach their instrument it's like the first time they're just so good at kicking me in the butt every year we see people that tell us one of a couple of things one i see this every year and i never miss it right don't stop doing it don't uh, yeah this has become our tradition two I had no idea that you guys even existed. And now that I've seen you, I'm seeing this every year. I'm going to go talk to the venue right now and tell them to book you next year. Awesome. And three, thank you so much for playing this music. I don't even like jazz, but I like this. I like what I just heard. And so that kind of energy really informs your playing because you recognize that you're a part of this tradition of just keeping this whole thing alive, keeping jazz and the piano trio and Vince Giraldi's legacy. And it's classic music. It is just classic music. Like somewhere there is somebody that is going to always be singing Duke Ellington. It just is. To me, it's not just about its universal appeal. And you've touched on this when you, when you explain people's reactions, it's something, and it's something that's missing from a lot of things in today's day and age. Yeah. It's intimate appeal. Yes. It's special to people. Yes. I won't give their name, but a family the father apparently died in a tragic car accident. It wasn't his fault, apparently in the spring or something. Mm. And um, they came to our shows every year up in Westminster. And I got a chance to send them a letter and express my condolences. But the point is, is that they said that that was the one event that everybody in the family came to see. It was like it was the only event that all nine of them, all the kids and the grandkids and the grandparents and the Everybody came to that of you know, and that's special. I mean, that's yeah. that's beyond just because the piano player took some lessons. Like they're not coming because the band happens to be good. That is a plus, but that's not why people come here. People come because it just reminds them of just something greater than themselves. It's like being a part of something like it's the Charlie Brown show. It's like what the season is all about, and it reminds you to love people and to care about people and the world gets more and more kind of crazy. And it just kind of, it's all those corny things that <laughs> cliche things that, but it actually is, it actually does. It evokes all those feelings for people. And you're forever linked to that. So that's gotta, make you, that's gotta make you feel good about yourself. right? Very special, man. You, you just kind of think about it. Like, you know, there are a lot of great piano players, certainly better than me, but to be a part of something like this, it's like, we have been blessed and you'll never find people that are more thankful than us. Let's talk about the band. You, you've not so subtly um, thrown some, <laughs> some, some high end compliments to your, uh, your rhythm section here. Yes. You lead your own trio, but yeah. you've also performed with other legends of the genre. Sure. Explain the difference between like being the musical son that everybody else 
wraps themselves around okay and being a quality side man being a side man for me is really a lot of fun because I want to be able to make sure the leader knows that whatever they need out of the piano chair, I can provide. So if they need me to be on time, know the music in advance, play at a high musical level, be reliable, be sober, <laughs> not be, <laughs> you know, my thing is to advance the brand and the sound of whoever has hired me. So that's that thing. When it's my thing, I take great pride in knowing that for being Al, I've created an environment for them, an atmosphere for them where that financially, musically, artistically, sometimes even just physically in the space that they are safe and creative to do whatever that they need to do. So that takes a certain amount of like behind the scenes energy. But um, I enjoy being able to do that because they play so well that it's worth having them to do that. And we've been together almost 20 years. And so that's another thing. And, you know, and in the piano trio thing, as you probably already know, there's a certain legacy of the trio. There's the Bill Evans trio and the Keith Jarrett trio. Sure. You know, a lot of great piano players have worked in a trio format. So it's great to be a part of that, like, little niche, too. So, Do you prefer either role? Um, depends on what day of the week it, it is. It depends on the day of the week. <laughs> you know, when weary is the head that wears the crown. So I really enjoy walking in and somebody else is somebody else's problem. Like, that's great. Yeah. Like, I love being a walk in and go, the singer is over there. That, <laughs> or yeah. the saxophone player, he's over there. You go talk to that guy. As someone who's you know been the front man in bands and yeah. been, kind of been that guy and also been the guy who just comes in and plays what other people want him to play, like, yeah. I've always had that intellectual conversation with a lot of musicians where uh, one of my former bandmates put it best and, and put it into a, a sci-fi category. Cool. I'd rather be the best Spock I can possibly be than be Kirk. Oh, wow. Well. I don't, you know. Now, I, which do you prefer? I'm not good enough to be Spock. That, really? You know, I don't have the chops to be Spock. It made me think when I was asking you about the piano before, you know, I still kind of have some passion sure. for getting good. Sure. I started when you started, but I've not committed to it in the way that you have. Is it too late for me, do you think? No, no it's never too late. Isn't that just like Look, the Danny way it goes Aiello old dogs? Died. Danny Aiello died yesterday. Rest in peace, Danny. That's okay, right. Okay, Danny Aiello's a great actor. He didn't act a single minute on film before he was 40 years old. Is that true? Is that when he true started? True story. I just heard that yesterday. He was like a bouncer at a comedy club. Then he turned into like the MC at the club. And then at 40 years old, he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to start acting. And then like Moonstruck and Do the Right Thing and the Madonna video. And, you know, he's gets nominated for an Oscar. I don't remember if he wins or whatever, but it's like it's never too late, man. He didn't win. And I give you props for recognizing that he was Papa and Papa don't preach. Papa don't preach. But I'm an Italian guy from New York, so right. may, maybe there is hope for me. Maybe Danny Aiello's um, passing will be the thing that inspires me. Maybe that's a door me. opening. <laughs> <laughs> that's the jazz musician. That's the jazz musician joke. It's like, hey, man, I'm really sorry the cat died. Uh, who's going to get that gig? Exactly. <laughs> but, but that said... Uh, <laughs> is that gig available? That's, I didn't know, realize that that's how it works in the jazz world. Um, <laughs> no, that's funny <laughs> that's funny uh when i sit down at the piano like let's just talk about the science of it is my sure. are there too few brain cells at this point like i don't nah. what level of commitment do i have to get to to be able to like let me give you an example okay. you, we talked about you playing the the organ type yeah. uh hybrid uh, instrument at your in-laws right like i have to go play christmas songs at my girlfriend's like aunt's christmas party in lancaster next week wonderful this is the third time I've been doing this, and um, I've always had 
help because there's a lot of Christmas songs, and Absolutely. I don't know. And these people have very specific. They have needs. They have spe- right. specific Christmas and needs. And the one right. go-to is always like the 12 days of Christmas. So I can confidently sit down at the piano and without looking at sheet music and with two hands play the 12 days of Christmas. And it's pretty simple because it just keeps repeating itself over That's and right, over yeah. again. I know how to play. Christmas time is here. Got pretty secondary dominant for five. Oh, now rings. you're getting it's into nerd talk here. Golden rings, right? <laughs> right. That's, right, the, right. Only that's the only hardcore change that you have to right. Right. have to worry about. <laughs> I know how to play the songs that I learned. You know that are typically in C major, so there's not a lot of challenge to playing like Frosty the Snowman or Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Cool. And then I've learned over the past few years how to competently play Christmas time is here because of my relationship to Charlie Brown Christmas. Great. And then beyond that, I'm just that guy sitting with the Christmas music book, just really struggling. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say struggling to get through it. I mean, you know, like I'm hitting the bum notes, but I really want to get good. So I try to... Only put so much time in a day. Right. Prepare for this day that's coming up next weekend. But it also reminds me of the Ronnie who was 11 years old and erased the sheet music. Like this (laughs) is... I'm not great at this. Like there is some sort of... Maybe it's a confidence thing. Mm. There's just... Some part of me that just like makes it so easy for me to like, all right, I'm good. You know, like this is as good as it's going to be. Yeah, you're probably better than you think. We're all better than we think. I had the pleasure of hanging out with Wynn Marzales once and, you know, he was playing something and it was like the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. We were playing the standard called uh, Yesterdays and he took like four of the best choruses on Yesterdays I've ever heard in my life. And then when he got done with the fourth chorus, he just like walked away and said, man, I can't play. I, I just suck today. And I was like... Okay, because that was the greatest thing I've ever heard. So we but, have something in common. So, yeah. So you always, you're, but you know, I think I, I encourage people, I would encourage you, if you can get lessons, please do. It's always good to have somebody that can visualize, see what you do, and then kind of customize your learning to what they see. Yeah. The other thing I would encourage you is that not really, don't have a time frame, but maybe just have goals. So if the goal is I want to play Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, then find a simple arrangement so that you're comfortable with that. Then find maybe a grade three arrangement, something that's a little more complicated, and then do that. If your goal is to be able to take a lead sheet, and a lead sheet is just the melody night and the chords, you know, maybe you just practice the melody, and maybe you just practice the bass note and the chords without the melody, and maybe you just sing the melody in your head or something. You know, like try to have like little incremental goals so that way it's not like, I want to sound like Chick Corea. And it's like, well, I got news for you, Doc. So do we all. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could practice every day for the rest of your life, and you still may not get there. You know, set like little, little smaller goals. Now you got a week. (laughs) <laughs> so that cuts into our goal in setting. We well, you could be well. I would say nine days, but I know no. So so we got to speed the goals up. But you know, are you going to learn a song that you haven't played in years past? Well, that's what I did last year. I learned how to play Christmas time is so, here. Okay, so that would be a good goal. See if you can find a song that you couldn't play before. That maybe you could learn that in a week, and then you add a song to your. See, that would be a good goal. You know what, Eric? Like this is interesting to me because I always have that inner voice in me saying like, why do I do this podcast? <laughs> there, you know, I've had some sponsors and, uh-huh. but it's certainly not a cash cow. Sure, it's not right. my main thing, Sure, but I try to talk to like two people a month on the regular. Cool. Obviously, you know, to build up an audience just yeah, like sure. anybody else who's sure, doing yeah. something journalistic. But also I've come to realize that it's these sort of conversations with artists, big and small that kind of inspire me as a musician. Like yeah. that was, 
that's always been in the back of my mind whenever I kind of have my doubts that I continue doing this. I've been doing this for like seven years now. Wow. It's these sort of conversations that remind me like this is the biggest reason why I should be doing it because I'm going to go back home, open this big audio yes. file up. Yes. I'm going to hear you say all these things that you just said about what I should do. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to I'm legitimately going to take those pointers and maybe Good next for Christmas. Good for you. Uh, that'll be. And if we play call. here next Christmas, you can open up by playing one song with the wow. band. Wow. All right. You heard it here that on would the be podcast. That's amazing. That'd <laughs> okay. be a goal. All right. Well, you know what? That's maybe that's the sort of motivation I need. That's the sort of, uh, you know, cherry you need to dangle in front of me to get me to that. level. Can I tell you my quick Chick Corea story? Oh, please. Of course. When I was about 22 years old, I stalked Chick Corea. He was playing Baltimore. I slept on a bench to like find him. I, you know, I was stalking. He came in and I met him and and he was so gracious and so kind. And he said, you got a ticket for the show? I said, yes. He said, OK, when the show's over, hang out with me. We'll be cool. Gig was over. Chick and I having a Rolling Rock beer. I still have in my house. I still have the bottle. You kept the bottle. Kept the bottle. Drank the beer. Hanging out till like 2 o'clock in the morning. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, Chick, you know, I suck. Like, I hear you play, and I can't play like that. I'm never going to get that good. And every time I try to answer, you know, I'm not any good. And he cut me off, and he walked me outside. And he said, look up and down the street. What do you see? I said, you know, cab drivers, people. I don't know. Like He said, man, all those people are wishing they could be musicians like us. Stop looking at what you can't do. Be thankful for what you can do. And I said, yeah, but I'll never be you. He said, and you're not supposed to be me. Be you. What, are you. what do you do? I said, well, I like the blues. I play black gospel music at my church, whatever. He said, then figure out a way of playing jazz that fits you, man. We all want to be Herbie Hancock. I'll never be Herbie Hancock. And he's a friend of mine. It's like, be you, man. Don't do that. Like, just be you. Get better every day. Just be you. And I never forgot that. That was maybe almost 30 years ago. Wow, okay. Never right. forgot that. So maybe I should talk to him next. You, you, maybe Chick is the next person on your podcast. Your website describes you as an ambassador of gospel, blues, and jazz. I mentioned earlier, I'm a dabbler. I live mostly in the rock world. Cool. What makes these genres so great in your eyes, and where would you point a novice towards to turn them on to these sort of styles? Wow. Well, the ambassador part came out because we, in 2001, were State Department um, Kennedy Center ambassadors, and they sent us to South America for six weeks to tour South America and play jazz. And wow. so ever since then, we've been going to South America on a somewhat regular basis and playing jazz. Gospel, because I play a lot of black gospel music in church. That's kind of like home for me. So when you hear me improvise, you know, I'm real bluesy. So on that side, Ray Charles was a huge influence for me, still is. Nice. Ray Charles loved B.B. King, of course. There's a maybe a lesser known piano player named Gene Harris, great jazz musician, very bluesy. You know, soulful guy. Oh, gosh. Who's the guy that used to play with Chuck Berry? You're That's going to kill me. me. That's going to kill me <laughs> because I have a couple of his things. Play with Eric Clapton on the 24 Night CD. Johnny Johnson. Johnny okay. Johnson. Johnny Johnson. Johnny Johnson out of St. Louis. Um, uh, Fats Domino. If you want to get into, like, the gospel thing and what really moves me, Mahalia Jackson, Aretha Franklin. Then on the jazz side, I think my all-time favorite is Herbie. But, of course, love Chick, love the Keith Jarrett trio, love Bill Charlap, love Jeff Keezer. That's all I can think of offhand. That'll keep but, me busy for a while. Yeah, I mean, so those are <laughs> those are kind of the big Mount Rushmore guys. What piano players do you admire outside of the, the jazz and the R&B world? Do you listen to popular music? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should hang out with my 13-year-old, man. He wants to be Slash. 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's he, awesome. He he's a rock and roller. He's gonna play one song. He's gonna play Christmas time this year for oh, us. Oh, tonight yeah. at the church. Oh, yeah, great. and he's got a angry rock band, and they're really good. He loves Rage Against the Machine. He loves all oh, he's that an old soul for thirteen. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I told him, man, you got to go back. You know where the stuff was. That's right. You know, so then I took him to see Guns and Roses a couple years ago, and then we saw Slash over here in Silver Spring, and he was like, "That's it. That's what I want to do," and he's a shredder. He's a shredder. If I he mean, could drop middle school today and go on the road, he would. All like, right, well, let's talk about serious. that. Like, this is what you do for a living. Like, yeah. as as a dad, like... No, I don't want him to no. do it. No, I don't want to... <laughs> It's so hard. It's so hard. And I don't know whether, starting out today, if people appreciate musicianship like they used to, you know? Like, when I was growing up, you know, I'm a huge Eric Clapton fan. I was a huge... Um, you know, I was into, I'm a huge rock fan. You know, I've, I've, I've been checking out the Robert Plant podcast, which is really interesting. Him writing some of those songs post-Zeppelin, but a couple of Zeppelin tunes or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm into all that stuff. When I was growing up, nobody decided for me what to listen to. I'm into James Taylor. I'm into like some country music. I'm into like whatever. Anything that's artistic and good, I'm kind of into. Well, you know your son's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to do what he wants to do. What do you want him to do? I just want him to be open to the possibility <laughs> Of being an of in, academic. Of insurance? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, when you hear him play, though, you'll see that he's got something. Well, he's, that's that's why I'm asking, because he's got something. if you believe in his talent, yeah. be, being who you are, then you got to be a little more And uh, I don't want to be like my dad. My dad was like, you got to get a real job. Like, why don't you become a weatherman? That's pretty safe. The weather happens every day. But it's like, but, you know, it I never I gets just, old. The it weather. never gets old. You don't even have to be accurate. You can just tell people <laughs> what it is. It's sunny, I think. But uh, no, I think he definitely has something and his chops are coming there. I mean, he's using his fourth finger. So I'm into, you know, I don't know what's going on, like maybe today in rock, but I saw Rage Against the Machine when they were doing their thing. And they're back. That's such a great band. We even kicked around Will and I, my 13 year old. We even kicked around uh, going to see Motley Crue do this reunion tour thing that's going to happen next summer. Oh, with Poison yeah. and Joan Jett and But I heard that the cat is not like, he can't really sing the notes anymore. Well, they couldn't really sing the notes back then. I guess It not. was more about a state of mind, hair yeah, But, you but know, Rage Against the Machine, like the rhythm that, section in particular, oh, Morello. Oh, yeah. And Zach is a great, you know, is yeah, a great I kind of revolutionary Zach, you know, sort of rapper. Yeah, Morello, I think, is somewhat genius-esque. But yeah, man, you know, I'm into anything and everything. It's refreshing for someone who performs the music that you perform to reference bands like that. Well, so here, okay, so obviously you're hip to Cream then. Yeah, of Clapton's course. Yeah. That's what I do with my jazz trio. When I started this band 20 years ago, I thought I want to get guys on bass and drums that could hold their own even if I can't. And so I got the best bass player and the drummer that would want to play with me. But, I mean, in terms of the energy, when you, when you see them play, those cats are independent musicians, man, that are working in a collective. I'm not the front guy, and they're just like the side guys. Like, it's a three-piece band. Right on. It's a three-piece band. Very cool. Well, that's a good reference. I mean, an, an interesting reference to make, but also yeah. one that appeals to me because sure. I am a fan of that, that style of music sure, for sure. Yeah. What's next? When Christmas is over, what does the Eric Bird trio become? We are concentrating on 2021 because we'll be 20 years old. So we plan on recording a double CD next year. As a year. trio, not as, as trio. human beings. Man, I haven't seen 20. <laughs> I don't even remember what I was doing at 20, man. I don't even know. But we're going to turn 20 as a band in 2021. We got a new recording that we're going to record next year. And then everything is going to be pushing toward blowing up, letting everybody know that we're 20. Constantly moving forward, man. Is there anything in your orbit that exists 
like a Charlie Brown Christmas in terms of nostalgia? We have put together something called the Brother Ray Band, and that's pretty hip. It's like me on vocals and piano doing Ray Charles stuff. Oh, excellent. With the trio, but then we augment that with a four-piece horn section and a guitar player that plays the blues. And every once in a while, we'll do Hit the Road Jack and Georgia and all that Ray Charlesy kind of early R&B kind of stuff, which is that's a lot of fun. For us, we always want to just move the music forward by either writing music or playing standards that are not super well known so that when people see us, they hear a fresh take on whatever it is. So when you go hear Charlie Brown, you'll hear Christmas time is here, but it'll be me with my 13 year old kid and my 11 year old kid singing vocals. Oh, heard? wow. So you got, you got the whole family working. Yeah. You they're musical. Them? They're musical. You paying them out? Like, how does that you look? know, we had a little bit of a hostage situation <laughs> about three hours ago. You know, they held out for a little more pay. Oh, I was going to say, maybe you promised them money, but you're really not going to pay them out. That it's was over. my plan. Teach them a hard that life was my lesson. Plan. My plan was to stiff them <laughs> so that way they know what the life is like. You know. <laughs> well, Eric Bird, I think my first church podcast interview has been a great success. Oh, man, uh, I'm thank looking you. forward to seeing this tonight. I'm glad we got to do it. Happy holidays yeah. to you, and, and uh, I'm excited. Same to you, to, man. Uh, Good to, luck next week. Let me oh, know yeah, what you, thank you very much. how that works it, out. Pretty much the same thing, right? Like you performing a Charlie Brown Christmas. Or I could record in a church. all the music for you. You could stand. Yeah, there and there's like a lot of old people there. Know, and they, they probably won't know the difference. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much for the time. Thank I you, appreciate man. Bless it. you. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Fun for all the children call their favorite time of year. Snow Oh,
That was Christmas Time is Here by the Eric Bird Trio featuring Jason Miles Bird on vocals. They're probably related, right? Earlier in the podcast, we heard Christmas is Coming slash Peppermint Patty. Get the goods, find out more, see them at a church near you. It's all at ericbirdtrio.com. That's bird with a Y. The bird! Big thanks to Eric for the time and the great conversation. Pepper and Jeffrey at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in Bethesda, Maryland for the accommodations. Is it Episcopal or Episcoposcal? Episcoposcal. And to all you guys and gals who've subscribed, listened, shared, and cared, or even accidentally listened to 17 seconds of this because you entered the wrong search engine information, I thank you. Follow me at Bald Freak Music. Here archived episodes at baldfreak.com slash podcast. Next time on Independent Minded, closing out the year with an old friend. He was on episode three. Three! My end of the decade reunion with Greg Adonito, lead singer of influential punk rock band The Bouncing Souls. And hey, this holiday season, keep the ending of a Charlie Brown Christmas in mind. Everyone, even that bitch Lucy, everyone decorates Charlie Brown's tree and ooh, ooh, oohs over the closing credits. I'm sure on December 26th, they reverted back to treating him like garbage, but for one magical night of ooh-ooh-ooing, the message sank in. As I sign off for 2019, I ask you this question. Couldn't we all use some more ooh-ooh-ooing in our short time on this planet together? Won't you ooh-ooh-ooh with me as another holiday season fades away? <laughs>